0: What are we discussing on today's Locked on Diamondbacks podcast, you ask? Well, it looks like Mark Melanson is going on the injured list. So who should be the D-backs closer this season? How does the Corbin Carroll extension stack up against other young stars in MLB who signed their extensions very early in their careers? And then of all the non-playoff teams from last year, do the D-backs have the best chance to make the postseason this season? Discussing all that on today's Locked On Diamondbacks podcast. You are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On diebacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're listening to who? The always charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer, so please go check out my website, millerthomas24.myportfolio.com. I'm there can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at creatorthomas24 for my personal account, or just look up Locked on Dimebacksable on Twitter, Instagram for the podcast handle, and of course, thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day. Would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you, it's free and available on all platforms, so please continue to tell your friends, and please tell your friends to subscribe to Locked on Dimebacks on YouTube, the subscriber count's been a little slow lately on the D-Backs YouTube channel, so please hit subscribe on Locked on Diamondbacks. Still trying to hit 400 subscribers before the end of March. The audio listeners, they're crushing it, but I need my video listeners to hit subscribe on the Locked on Diamondbacks YouTube channel. But for today's podcast, I want to first start with the news about Mark Melanson. It's not even just Mark Melanson. The bullpen took a couple hits in terms of injuries this past week because it looks like Mark Melanson hurt his shoulder. Going on the sixty-day injured list, expected to miss a few months, and then Corbin Martin from that Zach Greinke trade is also expected to miss some time with injuries. So the D-backs now have two more spots open in their bullpen, and really, I mean, <laughs> Mark Melanson wasn't good last year, and there's been a quote-unquote you know, competition this spring training, but I think it was fair to say Mark Melanson was probably going to open the season as a closer. Deserving or not, it was probably most likely going to happen because of the pedigree, the experience, the money. Mark Melanson was more than likely going to open the season as a closer, but now with him going on the, on the injured list, this opens up a whole new competition with a couple of weeks left in spring training for who should win the closer role, and I think there's really four candidates I mean, you could make the argument that there's more than four candidates, but to me, there's realistically four candidates that could win this D-backs closer role. And look, I don't wish injury on no one, but this could be a blessing in disguise for the D-backs considering Mark Melanson was really disappointing last year. This could actually maybe elevate at least the floor of this D-backs bullpen. Maybe not the ceiling, but I think at least elevate the floor because Mark Melanson was so bad last year. But when I look at the candidates... I think the four more the four most realistic candidates to take over the closer role for the D backs in twenty twenty-three is Andrew Chafin, Scott McHugh, Kevin Ginkle, and Yuri's Familia. Now you got some other options out there in the bullpen that you can make an argument for. You can maybe put Miguel Castro in this. Maybe you think a prospect like Carlos Vargas could even get a crack. But I think these are the four most likely candidates. And let's go through the case for each one before I decide who I think should be the D-backs closer in 2023. Because Andrew Schaafen, of course, signed by the D-backs this offseason, former D-back that is coming back home. And he's just been a fantastic reliever throughout his entire major league career. I believe in his entire career, he's a 3-2-3 ERA, over 400 innings pitched, 64 games finished. So this is someone who's been a phenomenal pitcher throughout his whole career, been in high-leverage moments, and is a guy that's also finished a decent amount of games in his career. But he's not someone that's exactly a closer. He's more of a high-leverage eighth-inning guy, but he does have a little closing experience. And, you know, if you need to give your closer a rest during the season, Andrew Schaafen could definitely do the spot closer role for a minute or two, get you a couple saved in the season. But he's never been a full-time closer. Now the D-backs might have to consider whether Andrew Shafin should be a full-time closer because for his career in save situations, Andrew Chafin has a 3-2 ERA over 107 innings pitch. So in save situations, he has looked pretty decent. But remember, you can start a save situation in the eighth inning, you can have a five out save if you want, right? Not every save only comes in the ninth inning because when you look a little bit deeper to the Andrew Schafen stats, he hasn't been a good ninth inning reliever, which is kind of weird. In ninth innings for his career, he's a 4-4 ERA. In the eighth inning, he's a 2.7 ERA. Elite eighth inning guy, elite sub guy. But in the ninth inning for his career, 4-4 ERA. Um, not that good for Andrew Schaefen. Now he is. Pretty elite in high leverage moments. A 2.29 average allowed, 6.71 OPS allowed. You'll definitely take that. Runners in scoring position for his career. 2.21 batting average allowed, 6.39 OPS allowed. But really, in the ninth inning, Andrew Shafman hasn't been that good throughout his career. He has been good in safe situations, but not, but not the ninth inning. So I do think he's a strong candidate for the closer role. But should he win it, we'll discuss at the end. The other option. Scott McHugh, and also, I just want to talk about Andrew Chafin real quick before it gets to Scott McHugh. Andrew Chafin, sinker, slider, fastball pitcher, mostly sinker ball pitcher. That's his go-to pitch in the low 90s, so he's going to try to dial up some ground balls. Always had a high strikeout rate, though, so this is someone, even though it's sinker-slider combination, not very high velocity, he's someone that does dial up a lot of strikeouts, so just keep that in mind. I do think that's very good for your closer. Scott McHugh, I think, is a pretty good option for the closer role, too. Now, the weird thing about Scott McHugh is I don't think he's pitched in the Major League since 2015. He's not not terribly old. He's in his early 30s, 33 years old. But he probably has the most closing experience, arguably, of anyone I'm going to name today. Him or Yuri's Familiar because Scott McHugh has been a closer the last couple years in japan and he was very effective out there in 2022 a 235 era 38 saves in 2021 a 266 era 31 saves so if you want a guy they could just throw in the closer role who should be comfortable and should know what it takes and has been in those high pressurized environments in the recent past you know in the last couple of years then scott McHugh is probably your guy because like i said yuri's familia is the dude who probably has the most comparable experience in that closer role but Yuris Familia hasn't been a closer for a hot minute. And we look at Scott McHugh. He is someone that does throw a mid-90s fastball around 94 miles an hour. With a little curveball slider combination. Mostly a a fastball, curveball kind of a guy. And then he mixes in that slider and changeup. So I think Scott McHugh would be a really good option as well. Just because he has the most recent closing experience. And the only guy comparable to him in closing experience is Yuris Familia. Who I'll talk about next because Familia... Look, back in the day, this dude used to be one of the best closers in baseball. In 2016, well, in 2015, he led the league in games, finished, had 43 saves. In 2016, he led the league in games, finished again, and had 51 saves to to lead Major League Baseball, was an All-Star in 2016, finished 17th in MVP voting, had some good seasons after that as well, but really hasn't been a full-time closer since 2018, and I don't know how far 2018 sounds to y'all. It doesn't sound terribly far to me, but it's 2023. 2018 was a half decade ago. Just think about that. So this is someone that has finished games the last few seasons since 2018, but only has, let me count it up here, since 2018. So from 2019 to 2022, Uri's Familiar only has one save. Now he has over 30 games finished, but he only has one save during that stretch. So Even though he has a lot of closing experience in his past, he hasn't done it a lot in the last half decade. So, And he's also someone that's just been in the decline, right? Like last season, 2022, he had a 6.09 ERA, the year before 3.94, the year before that 3.71. So this is someone that sees his ERA going up every year, his velocity going down. But even with his velocity going down... His sinker ball last year averaged 95.2 miles an hour. His fastball averaged 95 miles an hour. So even with that velo going down year after year, this is someone that used to be like a dude that threw 97 to 98 consistently. Ries familiar still hitting 95 consistently. So... He would still be one of the hardest-throwing pitchers on this D-back staff, despite his velocity going down every single season. So that's why I still have to throw Familia in this list. And then the last guy is Kevin Ginkle, who back in 2019, we thought maybe this guy could be the D-back's closer of the future. Didn't look good the next couple years after that. But this is still someone who I think should get a look at that closing role. Because if you actually look at Kevin Ginkle's numbers in save situations, He's a 308 ERA over 26 innings pitch. And in non-save situations, he's a 477 ERA. So Kevin Ginkle throughout his career has actually been pretty good when he's come through. Um when he's been pretty good when you've put him in those save situations. So I do like to see that when you look at his numbers in high leverage moments, a 221 average and a 649 OPS in high leverage moments compared to when he's in low leverage moments, a 251 average and an 816 OPS. So this is someone that's actually better when the pressure is the highest you look at his era in the eighth inning 562 you look at his era in the seventh inning 413 his era in the sixth inning 5.6 but kevin ginkle's era in the ninth inning 276 so all the numbers actually point to you point to kevin ginkle maybe being the best option for the closer his numbers are far better as a closer than they are in any other situation so when i look at these four candidates I think the most realistic option to get that closing role for the D-backs to start the season might actually be Scott McHugh just because he has the most recent experience being the closer. But if he starts to struggle, I think Kevin Ginkle is the guy I want to see get the opportunity. Like my head is telling me Scott McHugh is going to win the closer role, but my heart's telling me I want Kevin Ginkle because he's still young. You look at his pitching arsenal. He's someone that averages 96 miles an hour on his fastball. So he's got the velocity. He's got um, the, the numbers to support that he could handle a closing role. And I think, you know, he's a homegrown guy. I would love to see a homegrown guy become the closer of the future for the D-back. So Kevin Ginkle would be my choice to be the closer, I think. Um, maybe not to start the season, but I think eventually to secede Scott McHugh because I think Scott McHugh will be the first guy up in that closing role. And next, I want to discuss Corbin Carroll's extension and how it stacks up against other young MLB stars who signed their extensions early. But before we get there, because that Corbin Carroll extension, right, Mike Hazen, he's trying to build a perfect team and become the ultimate GM. And if you want to be the ultimate GM, then you need to download the mobile game Ultimate Baseball GM because I'm, hold on. Sorry, before we get into the ad read, I actually have to throw on my little overlay for my video audience because I'm really geeked out by our new partner and sponsor of today's episode, the mobile game, Ultimate Baseball GM. Because have you ever dreamed of becoming an MLB GM and managing your professional baseball franchise? Well, Your dream can come true, and this game is definitely for you. Manage every strategic aspect of your team, play through the season, and lead your team to glory. You're responsible for hiring the right coaches and staff, managing team finances, scouting and drafting players, managing difficult personalities, navigating your franchise through free agency and all the ups and downs of a season. All this in a challenging and realistic game world. Ultimate Baseball GM is completely free and playable offline. Play on the go as you want and when you want to. And this thing is so fun because right now, me and the other Lockdown hosts, we're all in a battle trying to build the best team on the Ultimate Baseball GM. And I'm someone that loves playing fantasy sports. And I love fantasy sports because I love the idea of trading, drafting my team, building my roster. But Ultimate Baseball GM takes it to a next level because it's kind of like MLB The Show, you know, when you do franchise mode and you got to manage the chemistry and the cap. You got to do this all on the app. But you do it on the app and you get to do it against your friends. So I'm going against my lockdown, uh, the other lockdown hosts. I'm competing with them and I'm trying to beat them in our regular season. And guess what? Other lockdown hosts know I'm the best fancy player around. I'm also the best ultimate baseball GM. So lockdown Dynamax listeners get a hundred percent free boost to their franchise when using the promo code locked on in the game store. So make sure you check it out. To download the game, just visit probaseballgm.com scan the code or look it up on app stores that's probaseballgm.com ultimate baseball gm start your dynasty today Right, right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the podcast and let's discuss how that Corbin Carroll extension stacks up against other young MLB stars because we all know Corbin Carroll signed a nice deal with the D-backs where he gets paid. we lock up Corbin Carroll. D-backs fans feel good. Everybody's happy. Corbin Carroll gets his money up front. D-backs get, you know, a little bit cheaper of a dude up front if he really hits his ceiling while still being able to Keep him long-term and not worry about him hitting free agency anytime soon. And the D-backs fans don't have to worry about Corbin Carroll leaving either. And I just want to compare Corbin Carroll's extension to some other young MLB stars. And whether it's good value or not, because we know about some other MLB stars in the recent, I want to say the recent past, almost to the recent future, in the recent past who has signed. Because this has been the new trend in Major League Baseball over the last couple of years, last few years, you see the Ronald Acuniers, the Wander Frankels, the Michael, the Michael Harris's, the Julio Rodriguez. All these guys are signing their extensions early. And for some of them it's a smart deal um for the franchise. For some of them it's smarter for the players because I think some of these players were kind of undervalued in their contract extensions. Well I think some players probably got more than they should have up front and maybe these teams are overpaying right away because when you look at some of these other deals Wander Franco got an 11-year, $182 million deal. And at the time of his signing, he was 20 years old. He only had 103 days of Major League Service time. So it wasn't like he was too far off from a Corbin Carroll. And that comes out to about $16.5 million annually for Wander Franco. But you have to dive a little bit deeper into the numbers when we look into these contracts because it's $16 million annually. But After like 2026, it goes up to like 22 million, and then after 2027, it goes up to like he's making like 25 million a year for like the next six years after that. So Wander Franco is going to be in a a pretty expensive player for the majority of that contract with the Tampa Bay Rays. You look at Julio Rodriguez, 13 years, 210 million. I actually thought that was too long of a contract that he signed, but after um, 2025. Julio Rodriguez is making 20 million a year and then he's going to have potential for escalators. He could change his contract, he could rip it up and add more money on there. So, both of those guys, the first like 3 years of their deal is going to be pretty cheap, but then by that 4th year they're basically making over 20 million to 25 million to maybe even more than that after each year. So, those guys get pretty expensive Pretty expensive for the payroll. Pretty soon for their ball clubs, guy like Michael Harris, eight years, seventy-two million. That's just great value for the Atlanta Braves. So it really had me thinking: How does the Corbin Carroll extension, you know, stack up against the Wander Frankos, and Michael Harris's and the Julio Rodriguezes? Because we actually have the breakdown now of the Corbin Carroll deal. Because in 2023, this season, he gets a five million dollar signing bonus. $5 million signing bonus, $1 million salary, 2024, $3 million salary. That's pre-arbitration. So that's what he would have made on his rookie deal. 2025, another pre-arbitration year. Now he's getting $5 million. Then 2026, $10 million. That's his first year of arbitration. 2027, $12 million. That would have been his second year of arbitration. 2028, $14 million. That would have been his third year of arbitration. So this is where Corbin Carroll would have entered for agency is after the 2028 when he makes $14 million, year three of arbitration. So when you go back and look at those year-by-year salaries, I think that makes sense. like Corbin McCarroll is getting more money pre-arbitration with his new contract than he would have made just off that rookie deal. And then when you look at those first three years of arbitration with the new contract, $10 million for what would have been your first year of arbitration is more than what he probably would have made. But it's also probably right in the range of what he is deserving to make considering the, the the caliber of player in the ceiling that we project him out to be like 10 to 14 million dollars a year for the three years of arbitration I think is a fine deal and then the idea of him entering free agency after 2028 guess what in 2029 his salary is going to be 28 million dollars so if he did hit free agency after 2028 he probably would have got a 25 to 30 million dollar contract in 2029 for agencies. So the d are like, you know what? We'll just pay you that salary on the back end. And in 2029, you're getting $28 million from us. In 2030, we'll give you another $28 million. Then 2031, we'll have a team option for another $28 million. So I feel like he's getting probably what he deserves Year after year, and then the time he would have entered free agency, the D-backs basically double the money from 2028 to 2029 and give him $28 million, which is probably what he would have commanded on the open market. I think that's super fair. And right now, $28 million probably sounds like a lot for Corb McCarroll. But guess what? With the way TV money goes, and you never know, there could be a new MLB deal. Like, I don't really know too much about the CBA and MLB deals. I haven't looked any of that up. So maybe there's a new TV contract because the way we see... Basically sports, the NBA, basketball, football. These guys sign new TV deals every half decade, whatever, 10 to 20 years. I don't know how often they sign them. But when they do sign new TV deals, it adds more money in the pocket of everyone. And most of these sport franchises make more revenue year after year, which means more money in the player pool, more money in the player's pocket. So I think by the year 2029, 2030, $28 million might actually seem like a bargain for Corbin Carroll because we already know this upcoming Free agency, Shohei Ohtani might reset the whole free agency market by getting, I don't know, $50 million or more a year. We just saw Aaron Judge get like $40 million a year. The Trevor Bowers, the Max Scherzers, the Verlanders, they've all getting around $40 million a year. So maybe by the time we get to 2029, 2030, $28 million a year for Corbin Carroll will actually be a bargain. <laughs> and even though it's a bargain, he'll still be making more than like the guys of Xander Bogarts and, and stuff like that. But you never know, 29... In 2029, $28 million a year could be a bargain. And he's still making less pre-29 from 2023 to 2028. He's still making less than the Wander Franco's and the Julio Rodriguez of the Rodriguez's of the world. And we're only giving him an exorbitant salary for basically just the last two years of this deal. So when I compare Corbin Carroll, his ceiling to these other players, like I think Corbin Carroll... It's just as good, if not better than a Wander Franco. I I still want to see him compared to a Julio Rodriguez because Rodriguez is a beast and he seems like a player that could win a future MVP. Corbin Carroll could have that kind of ceiling as well, but let's see it from a full season of Corbin Carroll first. But the fact that he's somewhere in between a Wander Franco and a Michael Harris in terms of a contract, I think that's tremendous value. And I think the way the contract breaks down, I just think it's a super steal for the D-backs. Corbin Carroll gets his money up front. And like I said, D-backs fans, Everywhere should rejoice. And let me tell you real quick. um, Let me tell you real quick because I I had to look up uh, our FanDuel ad read real quick. I think they changed it on me. Maybe I should have read it before (laughs) I started the ad read. But. Let me tell you guys real quick about FanDuel because the tournament is heating up and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. As bonus bets back, if your first bet doesn't win, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. You can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay. My favorite same game parlay to do is whenever the Lakers play, give me AD 25 points, AD 10 rebounds, D-low three threes, and Lakers to win. That hits about a third of the time, but when it does it, it feels great to see money going in your wallet. So don't miss your chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets. We can go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to learn more. Make every moment more. FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Probably my sloppiest segue into an ad read I've ever done, I've ever done locked on. <laughs> I said Don, huh? Locked on is not going to be happy if they get word of that segue, probably. But hey, sometimes it don't work out the way you want it to. And I, I probably should have looked at my FanDuel ad read before reading it. But let's get back into the con <laughs> the contract. Let's get back into the podcast and discuss. Because I saw MLB.com drop this article. Sub 500 teams from last year that are most likely to make the playoffs this season. And they did like a little percentage next to each, you know, team. They actually didn't go through all the teams. They just ranked their top seven non-playoff teams from last year that they think have the best chances to make it this year into the playoffs. And at number one, they got the Twins at 48%. Number two, they got the Angels at 39%. Number three, they got the Rangers at 37%. Number four, they got the Red Sox at 29%. Number five, they got the Marlins at 19%. Number six, they got the D-backs at 11%. And then number seven, they got the Cubs at 10%. And first thing I want to say is, should the D-backs be seventh among, or excuse me, should the D-backs be seventh among this list of teams that are most likely to make the postseason this year that didn't make it last year? I think we have to compare the D-backs to every team on this list that's ahead of them to see who has more talent. Because when I compare the D-backs to the Twins, I think the only argument you can make for the Twins as to why they have such a high percent chance of making the playoffs compared to the D-backs from last season is because the Twins are playing in the AL Central, which was terrible last year. Not very good. The Cleveland Guardians was able to win that division at just 92 wins, and then you look at the Twins. They just traded for Pablo Lopez. If you could somehow get a full healthy season from a Byron Buxton, he brought back Carlos Correa. I don't think the Twins are actually better on paper than um, uh, Arizona Diamondbacks team. I mean, this Twins team on paper isn't terrible, but I don't uh, you know, I think it's comparable to the D backs, but I do think they should have a better chance to make the playoffs than an Arizona Dynamic squad just because of the division they play in. It would not shock me if the Twins won that division. I think they have enough talent to win that division. So I'm fine with the Twins being number one on this list. I compare the D backs to the Angels next, and for the Angels, like, I'm. One of those people that are, like, not super down on the Angels this season. I do think the Angels have a chance of making the wild card. I probably would say the Angels have a better chance than the D-backs at making the postseason. Um, because, hope you guys didn't hear that, all of a sudden got a phone call. But I do think the D-backs have a better chance of making the postseason than the Los Angeles. Or, excuse me, I do think the Angels have a better chance of making the postseason than the Arizona Diamondbacks Because the Angels, I mean... I'm not that. I'm not off the Angels bandwagon this season. I do think the Angels have a chance of doing something this regular season and potentially making the postseason. I know talking to Sully Baseball, he hates this Angels team, but. Look at this Angels lineup right now, and not tell me this is not one of the best lineups in the American League. Because you got Taylor Ward, who's coming off a really good season last year with the Angels. You got Mike Trout, who is arguably the best offensive player, position player in baseball. Shohei Tani's also in that mix. Anthony Rendon, I mean, he has to stay healthy, but when he is healthy, he's still a pretty decent player. Hunter Renfro is underrated a 30 home run guy you got Brandon Drury as well like Jared Walsh is all of a sudden your number seven hitter like his Angels lineup is pretty good and pretty loaded with talent now the rotation leaves a little bit something more to be desired but Otani's a legit Cy Young candidate Patrick Sandoval is like solid. Tyler Anderson's good. And you've got some young pitchers in read the meters as well. So I would actually say the Angels have a better chance than the D-backs at making the postseason as well. Because if you have arguably the two best players in Major League Baseball on your team, you should have a decent shot of making the postseason. Number three, the Texas Rangers compared to the D-backs. The Rangers are another team that I'm like quietly in on. And I think our Dark Horse team, like my Dark Horse seems to make the wild card for the American League this year are the Angels and Rangers. And I don't know if that's really going out there on a limb or anything like that. I don't know if that's that crazy of a take. But I know Sully Baseball is not in on the Rangers or the Angels. And a lot of it just injury and health history, right? Because Mike Trout, someone that hasn't really been able to stay on the field like the last two to three years. We know Jacob Degrom has perpetually getting hurt every single season. But the the Texas Rangers are another team where I just look at that lineup, I look at that roster, and I'm like, it's not terrible at all I like the I think the lineup has some potential I think it's solid and I also look at the uh, rotation and like the rotation now that you have Jacob deGrom obviously you need him to be healthy and that's a big if with Jacob deGrom because he's already dealing with some kind of injuries but you look at the lineup you're gonna have Marcus Simeon who's like a 30-30 guy Corey Seeger is a stud Nate Lowe's not bad I love Ardales Garcia so you at least got four dudes like Robbie Grossman could have a solid bounce back season we'll see with Josh Young, who's like one of their top prospects, I believe. then that rotation, if DeGrom can stay healthy, like Martin Perez is a solid number two. You got Nathan Avaldi. Got Andrew Heaney. Like I do think the Rangers and Angels do have realistic chances to make the postseason. I do think I would have them ahead of the D-backs in terms of chances to make the wild card. But then, after that, that's where I start to really disagree because I look at the Boston Red Sox team and a healthy Chris Sale goes a long way for this team. But you let Xander Bogarts go. The heartbeat of that team. I just think the vibes around this organization franchise, I just don't think this will be a good year for the Boston Red Sox. I don't think their talent on paper is even bad. I just don't like the vibes surrounding this Red Sox team. I don't feel like they're actually, I, I the problem is I don't know what direction they're going in. I want to say they're not trying to win games, but I don't even know if that's true because they did sign that player from Japan for like a hundred million dollars. And you look at the rest of this offseason for the Red Sox. They went out there, they signed Justin Turner, they got the Canley Jansons of the world, like they signed Adam Duval. like they signed a whole bunch of legit or solid major league players, but they didn't really sign any stars. And then you let like the Xander Bogarts of the world walk in free agency, you sign Corey Kluber to be a rotation starter. Like, I hate this rotation for the Boston Red Sox. I don't think their lineup will be that bad because if you have Cassis. Devers, Turner, if the new Japanese guy, if he's good, maybe you give Verdugo Kike bounce back. You got Adam Duvall. I think the lineup is actually solid. I think this team can score some runs, but Chris Sale is one injury away from this whole rotation just being arguably the worst in Major League Baseball. So because of that, I don't see how there's any way that this team is better than the D-backs. In 2023. And then the funny thing is, when you look at all these teams I just mentioned and compared to the D-Backs, they were all American League teams. The first team that we're gonna compare the D-Backs to that would actually be in direct competition for taking one of the wild card spots is the Miami Marlins, who's a uh, number five on this list and ahead of the D-Backs. And for the Marlins, I love that rotation. They have like seven dudes in that rotation that are absolutely studs and stacked, but I don't like the Marlins' lineup. I love Jazz Chisholm. I thought Luis Arias was a good move, but I don't think Gene Segura is really doing anything for your lineup. I don't think Avicil Garcia or Jorge Silva are really doing anything for your lineup. And so when I compare the Marlins to the D-backs, the Marlins by far have a better rotation. And I'm still down to do an Alec Thomas for Jesus Lizardo deal or maybe another one of their young starters. But I think the D-backs' rotation is just fine. you got Gallon, you got Merrill Kelly, and then hopefully one of those young pitchers like Adre Jamison can hold it down as your number five spot. Now look at the lineup. The D-backs lineup is just so much more deeper than the Marlins lineup and has a higher ceiling as well. So when I compare the D-backs to the Marlins, I do think the D-backs should be number four on this list. I think it should go Twins, Angels Rangers than the D-backs because I think I think the D-backs have a better chance than the Boston Red Sox to make the playoffs and I think the D-backs are just a straight up better team than Miami Marlins and so because of that the D-back should be number four on this list of most likely playoff teams that didn't make it from last year to become playoff teams this season. Now, that's it for this edition of the Lockdown Dimebacks podcast. Come back tomorrow for more Dime, or not tomorrow. Come back next week for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. This podcast was a little bit later than usual because I was feeling under the weather yesterday, so I had to record this podcast on a Friday, something that I don't typically do. Thank you for making Lockdown Dimebacks your first listen every day. Make your second listen of the day, the Lockdown Fantasy Baseball podcast with Matt and Dom. He'll keep you up-to-date fantasy baseball news, strategies, and analysis. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy. Deuces.